Welcome to Jersey Justice, a civil law podcast that shares practical tips and stories about personal and workplace injuries. Join two of the brightest New Jersey injury attorneys, Gerald Clark and Mark Morris of Clark Law Firm, as they take you behind the scenes of justice and civil law. But first, a quick disclaimer. The information shared on this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing on this site should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Jersey Justice. Today, we're going to be talking about the trial process and the role that a jury plays in a trial in New Jersey. And I'm here with Mark and Jerry, and we're going to be talking about what the role is of the jury how the lawyers actually go explaining their point of view with evidence in the courtroom. So let's see. I'm going to let you guys pick who wants to get started first and uh, chime in on this one. I'm happy to go. I'll just do a little little background on that. So the question is, what is the role of the jury in a trial in New Jersey? It's Mm kind of everything. (laughs) There's different times throughout the trial where sometimes the idea is like, who's who's the focus on? Sometimes the focus is on the person who's testifying. Sometimes the focus is on the attorney giving the opening statement or the closing. But the whole idea of the focus that we're talking about is the jury, because without the jury, there's there's no case. I, I think we've talked about before. Our clients aren't going to have their case heard. We're not going to get to call ourselves trial attorneys and go to trial if people aren't showing up for jury duty and then and then doing their job. Occasionally, there's bench trials in New Jersey where a, a judge will decide the case, but it's pretty rare. Typically, it's a, it's a jury panel that's going to decide the case. And I think what might be helpful is just to have like an idea of what the day-to-day would look like if you get picked as a jury or as a juror. A lot of times, a judge will say they want the jurors there at 845. Each day, there's going to be different things that happen. Like A lot of times, once you pick the jury, say you pick a jury in the morning, you probably do opening statements in the afternoon. Sometimes a judge might send everyone home, and then the next day, the, the case will get going. But the kind of schedule for a juror is like 8.30, 8.45, you're at the courthouse. And the judge will tell you each day, everything's everything's different. There's a mid-morning break. Usually that's 15, 20-minute break. And then you break for lunch. That's an hour. It's 12.30 to 1. It's another break in the afternoon. Then whenever everything's done, that's, uh, that's it. That's kind of the day. And then you come back and you do it again. A lot of cases, if it's like a standard auto, that it's probably a three- maybe a four-day trial, anywhere from two to four days. Bigger cases like construction cases, things like that. Jerry just finished one up that I think was probably four-plus weeks. Jerry and I have done a construction case that was almost, yeah, that was almost two months. It, it all depends on the nature of the case. But that's just kind of because we talk about how important jurors juries are and how the jury system works and how we pick a panel. But just like the day-to-day, so I guess people know what they're getting into, it's it's not a horrible day. It's 8.30 to 4.30. Sometimes it's ending early. But and like I was saying before, what we see is the jurors are tuned in. Like they're following what's happening. They're paying attention to what's happening. So getting those breaks to kind of recharge and then come back, it's great. Because the juries can't talk about the case while it's happening, they do kind of get that time to refresh, like behind the scenes, at least the way that we try cases. Like every little 15 minute break we get, it's rare. It's almost it's almost twisted to call it like a break because all that is, is just time window you have to prep for whatever is going to happen next. So like I'll bring a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and have three bites of it over the hour break we have because you're prepping what's going to come next. So 
that's just kind of the day to day. I'm not sure if that's what you're asking, but that's just kind of what I wanted to convey. Like what what a, a trial actually from a practical standpoint looks like for a jury. Yeah, thanks. That's that's exactly what I was asking. And I'm going to ask um, Jerry now, how is evidence presented to the jury and trial? So once the jury is sworn in, it all depends on the on the court schedule. But once they swear in the jury, the jur- they're now the official jurors. And generally, the, the court will be like from 9 a.m. till about 4 or 9 to 4.30, something like that, sometimes 9 to 5. And then I think there's between the start and lunch, there's like a 15 minute break. And then there's an hour lunch. And then after lunch until the end of the day, there's a, I think it's another 15 minute break in the afternoon. And during that time, it's just packed with information and legal stuff going on. And the biggest thing with juries, the jury experience, a lot of times can be like the objections. So the attorneys object and then they run off to the judge to what's called the sidebar, which is like the side of the judge's bench. And then they're whispering over there about how to deal with an objection so that the jury doesn't hear the lawyers arguing. Um, Sometimes those objections can go longer. And then then the judge will send the jury into the jury room. Okay, go back in the jury room. And then they argue out in the open in court without the jury there. So that can be a big part of it. But once the jury's sworn you know, it depends on the judge's schedule, but then the judge may send the jury home, come back the next day. But sometime after the jury's sworn, there'll be opening statements. So in a civil case, the plaintiff will talk to the jury first and give their opening statement. And that's like an overview of the case and what the lawyer expects to prove and what the defendant did wrong and what you're asking the jury for. So they know what the case is about. And then the defendant will do an opening statement um, kind of the same idea. And then after those opening statements, then the evidence phase of the trial will start. So the opening statements to the juror is not considered evidence. That's just argument. And then you present the evidence throughout the case. You do it primarily through witnesses. So witnesses will testify. And then as witnesses testify, their testimony is evidence. And then as the witnesses testify, you'll offer documents, videos, pictures, things like that into evidence as well. And when it's in evidence, basically what that means is the jury can consider it. So then at trials, so then you go through and the plaintiff will present their case first. And then when the plaintiff has done their case, then the defendant will present their case. While the plaintiff's presenting the case, the defendant will be trying to cut down the plaintiff's case to cause confusion to make arguments, to make it complex, to make the plaintiff's lawyer mess up and stumble. That's all the different things they'll be doing. Not to necessarily have the truth come out in front of the jury, but more often in our experience to hide the truth from the jury, because if the jury were to hear the truth over these objections, and then they would likely rule for the plaintiff in our experience, which is why the defense is always trying to cut us down, cut the case down, make it complex, confuse the jury, because confused juries are less likely to find for the plaintiff, make it hard for the plaintiff's attorney. If there's a new attorney, they'll throw out objections just to try to throw them off. Again, not to necessarily find the truth, but to hide the truth. So then after the plaintiff's case goes, then the defendants will go and they'll present their case. And then at the end of that, There'll be closing arguments, which is similar to openings, but then the lawyers will kind of argue about what the evidence they think has shown and ask the jury to rule in their favor and why. 
And then after that evidence is presented, then the jury goes into a jury room and decides the case. Um, but before they do that, the judge will give them a long instruction. Sometimes it takes about 20 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes, sometimes an hour to tell the jury what the instructions are. And, and so that's it. And then the jury goes in and decides the case and there's written questions they have to answer usually anywhere from four to 10 questions or so that have to be answered. And depending on how they answer those questions, it, it is then determined who won the trial. So that's how it, that's how it goes. It can be a long process. It could be as short as a couple of days or as long as a couple of months or, or longer, yeah. depending on the case. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into that because you said a lot of interesting things that caught my eye. One is about the part of how, let's say maybe the defense will try to confuse, right? The jury and they'll try to put doubt in people's mind and the confusion. And to me, that makes me think of the word gaslighting. I feel like gaslighting is, is what they're doing sometimes. And if they're doing that though, like I'm going to ask you guys a hard question to think of an actual example. Because let's say the defense is gaslighting and they're putting doubt. They're doing these psychological games that they have to do in the courtroom. How is it that when you identify that, right, how are you going to counteract with that to get the jury back on track, to make them realize, hey, this is not reality. This is only a perception. This is a picture that's being painted. Well, what we do is, and it's funny, I, I'm relatively young. I'm in like my mid thirties and I hear gaslighting and I still don't hundred percent know what it means, but I think I have a, a decent idea based on how you explained it. So you're saying when the defense is trying to poke holes in our case and throw this stuff out to confuse the jury and, and all that, put it out like into the ether, at least I think Jerry probably would have a similar response. That's why I don't mind jumping in is we would address it head on. If they're trying to say, oh, maybe this person had something before and they're they're acting like it's from this crash and maybe they're just trying to, to defraud the system and they're, or they're, they're not hurt that bad and they're, they're malingering just to try and get more money. We would address that head on because we don't take cases where people are fakers, liars, cheats, fraud. It's like we don't. And we sure as heck don't take them to trial and get up in front of a jury and talk about people who are really hurt and deserve to get a lot of compensation for what's happened to them if we don't believe in their cases. So we would address that head on and, and tell the jury straight up either in probably in closing or, or what, but like if our client, if our client's a liar, a cheat, a fraud, we would be the first people to tell them to give them zero dollars, like to send them out of the courtroom with zero dollars. Because a lot of times what the defense does is they don't want to be, they want to hide in the darkness and not make it clear that they're trying to, I guess, gaslight or say that our clients may be a liar, a fake, a cheat, or a fraud. So a lot of times they'll use their experts. Their expert will say things like symptom magnification or the objective findings don't comport with the subjective complaints, things like that. So if we're getting that, because that that's the whole defense, like a lot of the times, it's just to sit back and poke holes. So something I was going to say while Jerry was talking is a lot of times the plaintiff's case will take, say, 75 to 80% of the trial, and then 20% of it will be the defense, just because it's our burden of proof and we have to prove each element of our case. So the defense will just sit back and try and poke these holes and, and gaslight and, and do all that. But I think the worst thing you can do is just try and run and hide from it. Like you have to just attack it head on. And a lot of time too, if we know there's potentially going to be either an issue with the case, we just like to put it out in the open early on. We wouldn't want for the first time the jury to hear about a potential weakness in our case from the defense. It's just so much of it is credibility, both with the attorneys and, and the clients and, and all of that. 
And I think that's where the evidence comes into play, right? When there's evidence, you can't argue with the evidence. They can try to downplay it, but when you're going to prepare for trial, maybe last question, what's some of the most important things or one of the most important things you do when you walk into that prior to walking into the courtroom to know that we are as prepared as we can be for this trial? Jerry? Yeah, well, probably the most important thing you can do when you go into a trial is to, like you indicated, to be prepared, to know the file well, to know the facts. And it's it's an unbelievable amount of work, these cases, to know that the facts and to know the file. But equally important is to just be truthful and genuine to the jury. You have to be, you have to be considered as a reliable source of information to the jury, not a gaslighter. And over the course of a trial, a lot of it depends on the judge too. If you have eight jurors in the box, you have a ninth juror and the ninth juror is the judge. And you got to convince the judge too of your case as well. Because if the judge doesn't believe in your case, the judge is less likely to rule in your favor on the things that the judge has to rule on, those legal issues. And the judge decides what evidence the jury is allowed to hear, which is huge. <laughs> you could have a great piece of evidence if the judge doesn't allow it in, doesn't do you any good. So you got to convince the judge about your case too. And you have to be, like I said, you have to be a truthful, a reliable source of information for the jury. And the defense is always going to try to cut you down. The defense is going to try to paint the lawyer out as misrepresenting facts or lying or a plaintiff's lawyer being like a money hungry lawyer that's just given a bunch of BS just to get money, as opposed to standing up for the rights of someone that's been harmed, usually by a, a company or a corporation. And always we're fighting at trial, almost always, almost all the time. It's always we're fighting an insurance company behind the scenes. The insurance company's hiring the lawyers. The insurance company is the one that has to pay any verdict or settlement. And the insurance company is the one that's doing all this gaslighting stuff. Even though the jury will never hear the word insurance at trial, it's all about insurance. And it's all about an insurance company trying to protect its money. Can, if I could just piggyback off that, because I'm shocked. Like whenever I talk to friends about cases, like I like intelligent people that do work not that different from what I do. And I'll be explaining a case to them and they go, so who... Who pays that? Like, where's where's the money come from or who's responsible? It's almost always insurance. There's insurance companies. And that is like one of the biggest kind of, not like handicaps, not the words, but we're hamstrung because we can't tell the jury, hey, we're not suing this guy who was driving that car. We're suing his insurance company. We're not suing like this mom and pop construction company or whatever. They've got insurance. They've got multi-million dollar policies or huge insurance policies. We can't talk about insurance to the jury. But for people listening, whoever out there, it's almost always insurance money that we're going after just because there's, I don't know, that, that's just how it works out. Almost always, I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time, if not higher, it's insurance. Yeah, thanks. All right, you guys, this one's a wrap. If you guys have questions in the audience, you can send them to questions at jerseyjusticepodcast.com and we're happy to actually answer them on the show. We'll see you guys next time. And there you have it, folks, another episode of Jersey Justice Podcast. If you're loving what you're hearing, it's time to hit that subscribe button on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review online. Share this podcast with your friends and become their legal hero. Dive into more episodes at jerseyjusticepodcast.com or clarklawnj.com and check out our show notes for more information. If you're navigating legal issues and need a guiding light, we're just a phone call away. 
call us at 1-877-841-8855. Again, 1-877-841-8855. Until next time, Jersey Justice Warriors, stay empowered and informed.